There was a panel nine, which is reflected in that, that red hatched area to the right of the screen. That's an area that is prohibited uh, for access uh, due to ground controls, and so we're not able to use that portion of the repository. And then also there's some rooms in panel seven as well that were not able to be used for waste placement either. So panels 11 and 12 are essentially... I'm Damian Willis, and this is The Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News, a podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. In this week's episode, we're talking about nuclear waste. In recent weeks, there has been a lot of news on this front most of which is coming out of southeast New Mexico. The region has a long history with nuclear waste. Dating back to the mid-1970s, when the area was first selected to be the site of the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant, (laughs) there were bumps in the road along the way. Lots of them, in fact. And it wasn't until 1999 that WIP received its first actual shipment of nuclear waste. Now, new talks are underway about a second storage facility in the area, the Consolidated Interim Storage Facility. The proposed storage facility in New Mexico would ultimately have a capacity to hold up to 100,000 metric tons of spent nuclear at the surface in southeast New Mexico. One New Jersey-based company intends to transport its waste about 1,400 miles to the facility. Additionally, New Mexico State University recently received millions of dollars in Federal Department of Energy grants to explore the possibility of recycling nuclear waste. We'll talk to reporter Adrian Hedden the energy reporter from the Carlsbad Current Argus, who frequently writes about nuclear waste, about big changes afoot for Southeast New Mexico, which appears poised to become the nuclear storage capital of the world. First, Adrian, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. No problem, Damien. Can we start out just by talking a little bit about the history of nuclear waste in Southeast New Mexico. After decades of planning, the first nuclear waste arrived at the uh, Waste Isolation Pilot Plant, or uh, WIP, as we call it, in uh, March of 1999, I believe. Yep. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And that um, that was, you know, a a long process. I think they started building WIP in the 70s. and it had a variety of support opposition in, in the town of Carlsbad. I, ultimately, it was allowed to to go into operation. Um, people say it was a big boost for the local economy. You know, you're talking about long term, stable jobs um, for generations of people in Carlsbad. Um, this is a lot different than the oil and gas industry, which you know can ebb and flow with the market. This is these are stable jobs, and I know mil- many people whose parents have worked there who who work there, their, even their kids work there. So it's like, you know, it's like GM for Carlsbad. Yeah. And it employs a few thousand people, I think, uh, most of which are, are from here. You, you most, most, not very much seasonal. I mean, they have obviously construction jobs and they're doing big projects, but it's a lot of local employment. So there's an economic benefit to there to sort of balance, um, 
with some of the environmental concerns. But um, it's been operating since uh, 1999. They've been accepting the shipments. And uh, it did that, I think, largely uninterrupted until uh, 2014. I don't know if this is kind of a day that is infamous in the history of WIP and nuclear waste. Um, there was the accidental uh, radiological release. So that that was the probably the biggest incident in the history of WIP. And how long did that shut them down? Uh, for three years. For three years, they were not emplacing any waste, which is uh, emplacement, I guess, is sort of an industry term for it. They weren't disposing of any waste. They weren't uh, mining. They weren't doing any sort of uh, ground control, which is how they uh, basically keep the um, the salt at WIP from collapsing while they're working in it. So there was, there was very little underground operations going on other than cleanup and, and uh, various compliance actions they had to take. The first load, I believe, arrived from Los Alamos National Labs. Where does the nuclear waste stored at WIP come from now? Well, Los Alamos has always uh, been a, um, a major contributor. They prioritize waste from there. You know, there's been a lot of pressure lately from the state uh, legislature and, and uh, the, the New Mexico Environment Department, frankly, as well, to prioritize New Mexico nuclear waste. So there's been a push for that. From what I hear, they're getting about two shipments a week from Los Alamos. Uh, officials say that that's based on when waste is available. Um, they're averaging about 10 shipments total per week. And they're planning to ramp up to 17 by the end of the by the end of next year. But uh, right now, two from Los Alamos a week. The biggest contributor, though, would be Idaho National Laboratory. There's a, a statutory agreement of some kind, I believe, with the state of Idaho, where the DOE has to get the waste out of that state by certain deadlines. They have to hit certain, certain targets, certain milestones. And uh, so that's led to a large portion of the waste coming from there. Um, there's also waste coming from Savannah River site, which is in South Carolina. And that's, you know, another nuclear research facility that developed nuclear weapons and that kind of thing. Let's see other ones. There's a little bit of waste that comes from Sandia National Laboratory, which is in Albuquerque, but, but not too much. It's a pretty small portion. You know, other places are like Argo National Laboratory in Illinois. Um, they got a lot of waste from Rocky Flats, which was a facility in Denver. But I believe that place is not sending anymore. I think it's been decommissioned for a number of years. So it comes from all over the country, Damien. And um, it's all brought here to the facility about 26 miles uh, east of uh, Carlsbad. So can you can you kind of for listeners who might not be familiar, I think I first remembered hearing about it when I was in the fifth grade. Can you kind of explain what the facility is? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and. and I'm not surprised to hear that. You know, a lot of people in Carlsbad, too, start getting educated on this stuff when they're real young. It's kind of a local local thing in southern New Mexico. But uh, um, basically what it does is they, they bring these uh, drums of uh, what's called transuranic uh, waste, n- a nuclear waste. It's a lot of clothing materials, uh, gloves, bibs, you know, glove boxes, and also equipment that's sort of uh, contaminated with radiation during nuclear activities or irradiated would be the term. So it's not, you're not getting any sort of like high level nuclear waste, like spent fuel or anything like that. It's a lot of, uh, you know, just secondary stuff like we're that. Not, yeah. Uh, we're not fuel. talking about uranium rods where it, no, it's no. just, it's just uh, clothing and things that have been exposed to radiation. Yeah. That needs still needs to be dealt with. That's, 
still important to the federal government to remove that from the environment. So what they do is they take it to, to whip uh, via trucks. I believe they have like something like 15 million truck loaded miles they've recorded since it opened. So it's a lot, a lot of truck traffic. Um, and they, uh, they basically take it underground um, into a, 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 like a massive salt deposit. It's like 2000 feet underground and basically they bury it in the salt forever. Is this, they believe, go ahead. Oh, they believe uh, through testing that salt um, does a really good job of blocking radiation. So that's why they use salt. It's supposed to be, you know, radiation isn't supposed to be able to get through it. How many similar facilities in the United States are there like this? There, there isn't one. Uh, it's the only one of its kind. It's the only actually deep geologic repository for any nuclear waste at all, including the this the you know the uranium rods we were talking about. Um, there's currently no place to put that, and that's that's another issue altogether. <laughs> what to do with that high level waste? So what's going on with WIP today? Well, um, right now they are uh, mining out their eighth. They're just finishing up their eighth and final disposal panel. So this is the last space that they're permanent permanent uh, by, the, by the state of New Mexico to have to hold the waste. So they're mining out that last panel. Um, that will be the last one, you know, that they're allowed to have under the current permit, which actually is expired and they're, um, working with the state of New Mexico to get another 10-year permit to operate. That permit will include uh, a few more panels uh, to hold the waste. You know, they lost in the 2014 incident I mentioned, they lost a lot of space. So they're, they're characterizing these uh, additional two panels as replacement panels to make up for that lost space. And uh, they've notably in the new permit removed a uh, a closure date of 2024. Now, managers today at the facility are saying that they don't actually need to set a specific closure date. They only need to, they can take as much time as they want, basically, to in place and dispose of the volume of waste that's uh, prescribed under federal law. That's uh, 6.2 million cubic feet. And I believe they're about, they believe they're about 40% of the way there. So oh my. We're, we're saying now it could be open till based on waste production and making it available for the facility. They're saying it could be open 20 until 2070, 2080. Yeah. So, you know, that's, um, that's a kind of a sticking point for a lot of our critics of the WIP project who believe that, you know, New Mexico agreed to 2024. And, um, but WIP says, um, we want to stay open until it's full. Exactly. Yeah. Until they've met that, uh, capacity limit under the, it's under the land withdrawal act, which is a federal law. So, so 6.2 million cubic feet. So it's a lot of waste. As as a reporter, even one who's been covering this issue for a while, and obviously you came into the area, uh, WIP was here before you got there. It seems like this would be a really difficult issue to get up to speed on, so to speak. Yeah, what are yeah the- I, didn't, I didn't learn about WIP uh, in fifth grade in my classroom. So, what are what yeah, are the challenges for, you've encountered so far? Well, you know, I got I got here in 2016 and uh, we had a reporter who was covering it at the time. Um, she was here for, I think, about a year while I was. Um, and then when she left, I sort of took her position as the environmental reporter. And so WIP was a major beat of that, that collection of beats, I guess I can say. 
And yeah, I mean, it's a lot of, uh, I had to read through a lot of documents, read a lot of past stories, anything you would do for any complicated issue, I guess. Um, but it's also, you know, a lot of talking to experts, um, really trying to learn not just the controversies around it or the, uh, the debates around it, but also just physically how it works. I think that gives you a good sense. You know, it makes it easy to sort of understand what these conversations are really about. It makes you comfortable with these very highly technical conversations with people. You know, I mean, I have a bachelor's degree in journalism. You know, I'm a and I'm having so, interviews. So you're an expert. So you're an expert in uh, nuclear physics, right? <laughs> right. So I'm having to interview PhDs in chemical engineering and things like that. Um, so, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of at, uh, at a disadvantage, I feel like, in a lot of sense. And so it's really to, important to do your work. And, I think and to kind of give listeners a, a sense of <laughs> you, you were at a community meeting about WIP um, yes. last Thursday night. And this is, this is some of what it sounded like. This new system, the SSCVS, when combined with the utility shaft, will allow us to increase that airflow to 540,000 cubic feet per minute, all filtered. So that'll help us from a from a, an ability to perform work effectively and efficiently, but most importantly, it'll help us from a worker safety standpoint um, because we will have plenty of air to do any of the activities that we need to in the underground without worrying about or having an issue with the particulate and having to, to rein back some of those activities in a means to control the diesel particulate in that area. The salt reduction building, which is at the top left of the figure that you see is almost 25,000 cubic feet. And the, filter, the building at the bottom is the new filter building. Over to the left, you can see where the ductwork will be pouring air out of the existing exhaust, exhaust shaft. So I think that that kind of gives you an idea of um, how difficult the issue might be to report on. We were talking off the air, and I think I called it a tough nut to crack. Indeed. Yeah, you've got to be very patient and, and sit and listen um, to these to these meetings. You know, there's protocols for everything down there. It's a highly secure facility. So, you know, they go into all kinds of sort of dry mundane details about fire extinguishers being in the right place and vehicles being fueled properly and, and things like that. And so as a reporter, I think uh, listening to those kinds of things, you got to be real patient and um, listen for, you know, the major, the major issues that you want to cover things like increased shipments, you know, plans to um, bring, bring more waste, uh, major construction projects, you know, their taxpayer dollars fund the whole thing. So, you know, when a ventilation system they want to build goes from 200 million to 495 million, you know, you've got to be listening pretty closely to catch that. Yeah. yeah, And and you want to distill it down so that it's easier for readers to understand. Yeah. Yeah. And and you want to know a lot of the technical stuff as well, because you don't want to um, say things that might be inappropriate. You know, I mean, it's we at the current artists, we like to have a good working relationship with them, too. So, you know, we've taking it upon ourselves not to refer to it as a dump as other media outlets have, you know, <laughs> repository. so there's a give and take there. I think uh, a little bit, you know, you want to have credibility as well as, as simplify. Lately, um, Adrian, you've been writing about another facility near the border of Eddie and Lee counties called the consolidated interim storage facility. What can you tell us about that? 
Yes, that's a, a proposed facility yet. It has not been built. I'm still working through a federal licensure process, um, but that would actually um, act as a storage uh, facility for the high-level uranium spent fuel rods that we were talking about. Um, this facility would be, yeah, right by the Eddie Lee County line, um, you know, amid all the oil field and stuff. And uh, basically they would bring in via rail, you know, via train, uh, these spent nuclear fuel rods from nuclear reactors around the country and uh, store them temporarily um, in silos that only go about 40 feet deep. So they're basically at the surface and um, they would hold these rods there uh, on a temporary basis. That's why it's interim storage facility um, while a uh, permanent repository for them that would be also probably thousands of feet underground like WIPS um, was developed. There is no such repository in the country. There's uh, none in the works. Um, there was one at, at Yucca Mountain in Nevada, which people have probably heard of, that was pretty much next during the Obama administration, put a red line through the budget. There was really strong opposition from the state there. Um, but uh, Holtec International, the company you know behind this, this project here in New Mexico, they um, they have a history of, of this kind of work. You know, they build storage casks that are in use around the country. At you know, a lot of the reactors they hold their waste there at the site and cooling pools. So Holtec's plan is to basically consolidate that waste at, at one location, and that would be in New Mexico and out in the desert. State leaders were not happy when the Nuclear Regulatory Commission approved plans for the CISF, right? Well, the, the regulatory commission issued a, a recommendation to approve it. They haven't issued the license yet for the New Mexico facility. They did issue a license to um, another company called Waste Control Specialists that wants to build something smaller, but but very similar right over the border in Andrews, Texas. So that, that license was issued. So it seems likely that they will issue this for New Mexico. It remains to be seen yet. But um, yeah, the state of New Mexico, uh, Governor Lujan Grisham, Pretty much everyone in her cabinet, uh, New Mexico Environment Department, uh, Secretary uh, James Kenney. AG's the, office? Yeah, the AG's office, the uh, state land office, you know, they've all come out against this project. Um, they're concerned that it could impact uh, local industries in the area that are important, like the oil and gas industry, the uh, agriculture industry, which are both kind of main economic drivers for the state and for this region as well. You know, there's concern that uh, Holtec has said that, you know, this will have no environmental impacts. It won't uh, affect oil drilling. It's, you know, like I said, it's 40 feet under, only 40 feet beneath the surface. So it won't affect the water table, it won't affect uh, oil wells, the shale deposits. Uh, but I think there's concern, too, that even with that explanation that just it being here could lead to a reduction in people's willingness to invest in the area. So. Yeah, there's been a lot of opposition. Uh, the Attorney General's office even has a lawsuit right now against the NRC trying to block the license from being issued. So, do we have a, a lot of opposition? Do we have a sense on? We were talking about WIP and how many permanent jobs it brought to the area, right? Or or uh, semi-permanent generational jobs it brought to the area. Right. Do we have a sense of of what this could do? Well, to um, kind of it, counter. It, 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 that argument? Yeah. It would be quite a bit different than the WIP site. You know, WIP has a lot of moving parts. Um, a lot of different jobs uh, come from WIP. Um, but the, the Holtec facility, yeah, there would be a few hundred construction jobs during its build for a couple for a few years. Um, they also have a manufacturing facility that um, like a fabrication facility that 
um, is probably going to be located in New Mexico. We're just not sure if that's going to be in the Carlsbad area or, or somewhere else. Frankly, um, we're still waiting to hear about that. That would probably be a couple hundred jobs. But um, once Holtec, um, once the CISF, uh, once the facility is built, there won't be very many people there. I mean, it, it'll be some, there will be some monitoring. There will be some security. But other than that, there will not be. I don't believe there will be thousands of, of people working there. So kind of a mix of really highly technical jobs and some more menial jobs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, like the, like I said, the construction phase will will produce several hundred jobs. I've heard estimates of up to five hundred. But um, I think once it's operational, you're you're not going to even see a hundred people at the facility. Probably more like twenty or so. It, basically just securing it. It seems like nobody really wants nuclear waste buried in their backyard. What makes sure. Southeast New Mexico such an attractive place to do it? Well, um, there's a few things to that that are that supporters argue. Um, one is that the presence of, of WIP here, along with, um, you know, the Uranco uranium enrichment facility over in Eunice. Um, the site I mentioned in Andrews, Texas, kind of makes this area what they call nuclear, the nuclear alley in the area. Uh, there's a lot of knowledge about this industry here. There's a lot of people that, that know about it. Um, so that, that's one thing. Um, another is that people believe it's very geographically, uh, or, uh, I'm sorry, seismically stable, geologically stable. They, they don't believe that this, uh, there's not a lot of earthquakes here. There's not a lot of extreme weather events here other than heat, um, which wouldn't affect it. It's a remote area, far away from large cities, far away from bodies of water. You know, keep in mind that this waste is being held at generator sites, such as at the San Onofre, San Onofre site in uh, California, which is, you know, right on a fault line. And there's other ones in, you know, New Jersey and uh, Indian Point in New Jersey is another reactor. Um, that's along the Hudson River. That's around a lot of, uh, you know, New York City, uh, high population areas. Other ones are, you know, in the Great Lakes area. I just wrote about two places that they Holtec has got the license to in in, in Michigan um, that are right along Lake Michigan. Um, you know, people want to see that waste removed from these bodies of water. They don't want to contaminate, you know, the Great Lakes. Um, they don't want to put uh, large cities at risk. So the argument um, in support of this is that this would be a much safer, less impactful area to, st to store this waste. And Holtec is uh, looking at transporting this 1,400 miles across the country to make it happen. Yeah, via rail. Uh, that's another sticking point for uh, for the opposition is is how can they, the opposition questions the, the safety of the transportation, uh, you know, because now not only are you, in their minds, not only are you putting New Mexico at risk, you're risking all those communities along the path, which would be several states. You know, if there was a derailment or something, you know, who's responsible for that? And so far, I don't think people have been, well, the opponents, I don't think they've been satisfied with Holtec's answers. Um, I think that there's concern that uh, local communities, some very rural, some very uh, poor would be forced to basically pay for the remediation. And, and you know, that's to clean it up. And that's, people don't think that's fair. That's certainly something when I talk about learning about this in fifth grade, I remember the concern about Highway 285 and the waste that would be transported along that route. 
Well, that's that's between here and Los Alamos. Yeah. So that's yeah. Back on on, on whip. There's concern currently right now that people, people in Santa Fe are worried right now about a, a plan to basically dispose of um, surplus plutonium at whip. So this is surplus weapons grade plutonium, but they've developed a method of basically diluting it using some combination of chemicals. It's, I guess, is proprietary or complicated. And um, <laughs> so basically the waste would be um, transported to Los Alamos National Laboratory, which is up in northern New Mexico. That's where it would be processed in this in this process, you know, it would be diluted or whatever. And then that, then it would, that would ship from Los Alamos to the Savannah River site in South uh, Carolina, further packaging and preparation. And then from there, it would go to whip. So that, that means the waste would cross through New Mexico three different times. And so they're very concerned that that is increasing the risk of uh, exposing New Mexicans to radiation. And it's not fair. You know, we don't have any nuclear power plants or reactors or anything like that in New Mexico. The question is, why does New Mexico alone have to bear this heightened risk of, uh, of radiation yeah. exposure? And you mentioned seismicity, but Carlsbad has certainly seen a bit of an uptick. Um, mm-hmm. and, and lots of the oil patches have with mm-hmm. increased fracking and things like that. Yes. Yeah, Damien, I'm glad you brought that up. I was actually just uh, interviewing a source about that right when I got on this call. So basically with the oil field, they've been linking uh, what they call induced seismicity, man-made caused earthquakes, to um, uh, saltwater water disposal injection. So basically oil companies, you know, they use water in the hydraulic fracturing or fracking to, uh, to drill in for the oil um, that produces a lot of wastewater. So the, traditionally what they've been doing is just re-injecting that back underground. And they're starting to find that that has been causing earthquakes, many very small earthquakes, uh, magnitude two earthquakes, magnitude three. But they've gradually started to see some some bigger ones around the Permian Basin area um, in New Mexico and on the Texas side. Uh, the biggest one New Mexico's ever seen in that area was a uh, magnitude four reported last year. And uh, uh, since then, uh, the state has taken action to reduce, you know, injection volumes, reduce the amount of water operators are allowed to inject in hopes of reducing the seismicity. And so far, um, direct talking to uh, Adrian Sandoval earlier today, who's the director of the state's oil conservation division, the main regulator. You know, it's been pretty successful. They've seen a reduction in earthquakes. They haven't seen as much. Um, Texas also has, has taken similar action to reduce volumes shut in injection wells um i think it's it's getting pretty bad though over there um as far as like the midland area and um oklahoma's seen some oklahoma yeah that's kind of the model um i think they were one of the first states to have this issue and a lot of people then tied it to hydraulic fracturing which it is somewhat but i think it's really that wastewater disposal that second step in the process of getting rid of the the resulting wastewater that that's causing it. I remember I remember being on a uh, phone call that morning or a, a morning meeting that Carlsbad had that larger earthquake and everyone <laughs> kind of freaking out a little bit like th- this this is not something we're used to feeling in in Carlsbad. Yeah, I mean I I look frequently at records from the uh, US Geological Survey. They track earthquakes around the world and um just looking at like earthquakes at a two point 
zero magnitude or higher, which 2.0 is often not felt, but you know, 3.0, 4.0, those are starting to get dangerous. You know, Carlsbad goes from like, you know, five 2.0s or higher to like hundreds, you know, in 2017 when oil started booming. So yeah, I mean, it is, it is kind of a shock. I think when people feel that here, it's not a part of the world where you see a lot of those. Going back to nuclear waste disposal, how do uh, local residents feel about that? Um, I I think uh, I, I, it's a mixed bag. You know, I, I think uh, our, our city leaders, our city council, our mayor, county commission, um, they're all very supportive of, of Holtec and of WIP. Um, they believe this is economic benefit. They believe it to be safe. They even have gone so far as to say it's our patriotic duty to uh, tackle the nation's nuclear waste problem. You know, others are very concerned that it's, like you said earlier, nobody wants this stuff in their backyard. Um, why should we have to bear bear the risk? We don't even have really very much nuclear power in New Mexico. So, um, you know, I think it's it can go both ways. But uh, as far as like our elected officials and, you know, local elected officials, they're, they're very supportive of it. And they're elected by the people. So take that as you will. <laughs> <laughs> A team of scientists at New Mexico State University here in Las Cruces earned $8.5 million in federal grant funding from the U.S. Department of Energy. What can you tell us about how that money is expected to be used? Sure. Basically, they're trying to develop a way to make nuclear energy more sustainable. It's part of a program with the Department of Energy. They've, they've given large grants of that size to, I think, a lot of different uh, universities and research facilities. And basically, they're just trying to make it more sustainable. They're trying to prevent waste from being generated. and um, Or they're trying to find ways to recycle waste and, and turn it into, into energy. Um, so they're basically developing a new kinds of reactors. They're doing a lot of tests. I think right now they're kind of in the planning stage. They're going to use that that money to hire researchers and stuff to get this, this project going. Um, they expect there to be several other grants uh, through that process. But yeah, it's part of attempts to make uh, nuclear power more environmentally friendly. It is, it is a cleaner, is characterized as a cleaner form of energy than fossil fuels. It uh, doesn't produce carbon emissions, but it does create a lot of waste. And, um, you know, so that's, that's why this is going to become more and more important of an issue as the federal government is pushing um, to decarbonize and to uh, address climate change. Is there a conceivable way, based on the people, uh, the experts you've talked to, to actually recycle gloves and bibs and things like that to to actually make this practicable? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure that irradiated you know clothing materials. I'm not sure how that would be turned into waste, the true waste. You know, I think this this project was largely concerned with like plutonium and uranium, you know, fuel rods. Um, being recycled after they're used in nuclear reactors, so being used again and again. Yeah, but as far as that true waste, I I can't imagine how they would turn that into to energy without burning it. But then, so it's yeah, I don't it's know. going back going back to what we were talking about earlier. You're kind of taking out the step of neutralizing those rods and mm-hmm. finding a way to recycle them and and use them again to get a little yeah. more juice out of them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there is, um, there was a program, um, that, uh, we were 
the the United States was working on with uh, with actually with Russia is the mixed oxide fuel program where they were trying to take spent nuclear fuel like that which would be brought to Holtec and um, turning into into a mixed oxide. It's called the MOX project. Um, it seems like that's not really going to get off the ground. <laughs> you don't um, say. <laughs> yeah. So that um, that that's you know that that hasn't quite happened. Um, so that's that's why this this whole tech facility is something they're kind of their new their new attempt to kind deal of a, with it. Uh, uh, we're going to have to go it alone and uh, try to do it ourselves. Seems like it. Yeah. Seems like they're they're going to try to you know like I said hold this stuff temporarily and hope that eventually a uh, permanent repository like Yucca Mountain can can get off the ground. But I don't know. It's just quite a problem. You know, it's a, it's an issue to solve in the United States, what to do with all this spent nuclear fuel. We don't really have a solution yet. doesn't seem. As we look to the future, what are you going to be looking for as this continues to develop? Uh, with the Holtec project, we're waiting um, to get a final decision from the federal government as far as uh, the license. That will probably be met with a lawsuit from the state or, you know, I mean, multiple lawsuits. Um, if you look at what happened in Texas, I mentioned the waste control specialist facility in Andrews when that was licensed by the NRC. Uh, the state of Texas, which is, you know, shows that this is not really a partisan issue. You know, New Mexico Democrat led against it. Texas Republican led also very much against um, bringing these this fuel, this this waste into Texas. Greg Abbott, the governor there, who's a staunch Republican, he's come out very much against it. The state legislature in Texas actually passed a bill that banned it in texas and so this license being issued initiated a lawsuit from texas and so we'll be be watching what goes on with that and i think something similar uh conflict would happen in new mexico you know just just kind of trying to see you know how how the state's opposition will be viewed by the federal government will the federal government just go over the state's head will the state be listened to as it was in nevada with yucca mountain you know, because states like New York, they want to get rid of this waste. So some people think a state like New York would have more political clout than a state like New Mexico. So, right. You know, right. Interesting to see how that debate goes. And just for those listeners who might need a little more context, Andrews is also located in the Permian Basin on the other side of the Texas border. What are they about? 40 miles from Carlsbad? Yeah, I mean, Andrews is right on the border. It's it's within miles, maybe five miles from the state line. So yeah, it's maybe about an hour drive from Carlsbad. When the when the wind blows, it's uh, in New Mexico. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> is there uh, anything else that you want to add, Adrian, that we haven't talked about? No, you know, I, I think it's important as a reporter to keep these two issues separate in your mind. Um, you know, WIP is... Uh, like I said, the transuranic waste, it's it's very different from Holtec. Uh, a lot of, I think people conflate the two. Um, so as a reporter, when I'm reporting on this stuff, I got to know when I'm doing a Holtec story, when I'm doing a WIP story, and I don't try to compare the two very much. So very different projects. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would just add that uh, New Mexico, it's interesting that kind of humble little Carlsbad and rural Southeast New Mexico is sort of at the center of this debate about what to do with the nation's nuclear waste. You know, it's an important issue. It's continuing to be generated, continuing to rely on nuclear power to sustain us, to move away from uh, more carbon-based forms of fuel. So, you know, I think this is an issue that will continue to uh, develop and be an important thing for, for the state 
to that end, I we were talking in the newsroom uh, a couple of days ago, and really, Southeast New Mexico kind of seems poised to, if things go according to plan, seem poised to become the nuclear storage capital of the world. <laughs> well, if, we, if it's the, the only repository for transuranic waste and then the only storage site for high-level spent nuclear fuel, yeah, I mean, it seems, uh, it seems like it. Seems yeah. like it's a big industry here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Adrian, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Reporter's Notebook. We also have a newsletter sharing reporter stories about, well, about how we report stories. You can find all of our stories and the rest of our reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. A huge thanks goes out to Adrian for joining us this week. You can follow Adrian's reporting on issues like this and much, much more in the Carlsbad Current Argus and in the Las Cruces Sun News. Also, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Lots of places. This has been the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. Thanks to Adrian for the additional audio heard in this episode. You can find all our local reporting brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces at www.lcsun-news.com. For all of us at The Sun News, thank you for the privilege of your time. Thank you.